0: Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I didn't either. That's why my guests and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Singlet 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So, are you in?
1: When I was single all I wanted was for somebody to to tell me you're okay you're you're more than okay the status of your relationship situation does not define you and you're doing the best that you can and you're doing a really great job like that's that's all I ever wanted someone to say and instead you're bombarded with how to find a guy all the things you're doing wrong on a first date what rules to follow and so many damaging things that just keep telling you that you are supposed to be fixed as a single person
0: our guest today was an absolute delight to speak with Not only has she had an unbelievably impressive career as a TV sports reporter who worked all across America, including New York, but she's a living example of how refusing to settle in life or give in to society's expectations can lead you to your very own version of happily ever after. Our guest has never followed a traditional path. Although she enjoyed over 16 years of success as an award-winning television journalist, she still couldn't help but feel like she was somehow behind. The traditional timeline for women told her that she should have been married with children by now, and she felt miles away from where she thought she'd be, making her question whether there was something wrong with her. While our guest story is unique, her experience is all too familiar for many women. It wasn't until she began to celebrate who she was, honor her accomplishments, and welcome a future all her own that she was able to step into the life she always dreamed of. She had her first boyfriend at 35, married at 38, started her own company at 39, and is now welcoming her first child at age 41. By embracing her own timeline, she was finally able to find happiness and peace with her own life path. Now our guest is on a mission to help other women avoid the same pitfalls, free themselves from expectations and let them know they're not alone on this journey. She helps women stop worrying about what they think they should be doing with their life and start living it. As our guest likes to put it, there is a life you thought you would have and there is your life actually. It's the actually that holds all the power and excitement. We just have to embrace it. Together in this episode, we discuss how to stop wishing and start living by embracing the life you have right now in addition to how we can each own our individual timelines rather than chasing arbitrary milestones. Our guest also provides insight into some of the pressures she experienced while working in a male-dominated industry, as well as her IVF journey, and shares her wisdom on how to ignore the negative narratives surrounding being single and the expectation for women to couple up by a certain age, or subscribe to cringe-worthy dating rules, and in doing so normalize the reality that there is no one way to be happy. I am so excited to introduce to you today the incredible Laura Benke. So hello, Laura. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman.
1: Hi, Nicole. It is so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's start from the beginning.
0: Where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like?
1: Yeah, so I'm currently in California, but I actually am I'm from the Midwest in the United States. I'm from Minnesota. Uh for for those of you who are not entirely familiar with the United States, it's right in the middle and right up against Canada. Uh and I I my my family life was was great. I really was a very privileged to have uh, a supportive network around me. My parents were happily married. I have a younger brother and uh you know, my my parents did a really great job. Of of raising me to believe that I could do whatever I wanted, that my brother and I were equal, whatever he could do, I could do. Uh, They didn't press any ideas of marriage or kids on either one of us, but especially on me as as a, as a girl, that, that wasn't what I had to do, uh, which you know was wonderful at the time, but then did also kind of lend itself to some of my feelings of being like, oh my gosh, I'm single way later than I thought I should be. Because even though that's what my parents were telling me, they met when they were 20. They got married when they were in their early 20s, had me a few years after that. So while they told me all these great things, the visual that I had was a life that ended up looking so different from my own. Uh, but I really, I really can't complain about the childhood that I have. It was, it was, I was very, very fortunate.
0: So you've had such a successful career as a television journalist. Did you always know that's what you wanted to do growing up? No. So I
1: actually thought I was going to be an actress. That oh, I was, love that. That was my goal. <laughs> <laughs> that was my goal. I was a total theater geek growing up. I, I could, you could not get me off the stage. Like I loved being in front of people. I loved talking, uh, which is, I'm sure, so hard for you to understand because I, you know, I, you I, don't I, say. I, it takes me so. Yeah, it takes me so long to come out of my shell, but. I, I, no, I, I actually was a theater major my freshman year of college. And then I realized, you know, I'm not quite sure I have the passion to always be looking for the next job. Because I mean, really, that's as an actor, especially when you're first starting out your job. Is finding a job. And I was like, you know, I'm not so sure that's for me. So I did a I did a pivot early on in my college career and decided journalism was definitely more my speed. Um, I I loved sports. I had never played sports, but I was always such a huge fan, and I was always, you know, paying attention to what was going on and learning about it and. Truth be told, when I was in high school, I had a huge crush on a guy who played on our football team. And that may have been what started my love of sports, but <laughs> finally it'll make sense to me. <laughs> it all comes back to that. Uh, but I I, you know, I ran with it and I absolutely loved the idea of being a woman trying to break into a, a very male dominated world um, to be able to have that challenge and to really try and make a name for myself when when I knew it was going to be hard and it's let's let me just say I thought I was going the more stable route by doing TV over theater and uh, it was more stable by like. A fractional amount. (laughs) So, (laughs) I went from one crazy field to another, but uh, you know, it was wonderful. I had 16 years in TV, and um, I loved it at the time. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing, and it was it was never boring. Right. So,
0: talk to me about the sort of expectations and pressures that came with working in a male dominated industry as a female.
1: Oh, there were there were so many, and you know, I can look back now, and I can really understand them better from a distance. But when I was in it, I just everything was so normalized to me. This idea that I had to prove myself every single time I opened my mouth because I was a woman. Uh, If I ever made a slight mistake or misspoke, which let's be honest, we all do that every now and then. No one is all the time on my end. All the time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm not alone. Uh, But but being in this in that field I lived in fear of making just a casual mistake because I was so worried that when I did, everybody around me would be like, oh, see, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a woman in sports. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And oh my goodness, that there was so much pressure about how I was supposed to be a woman doing this job. Not to mention how I was supposed to look, how I was supposed to sound. I, you know, I just, I had this idea and TV kind of has this idea of how you are supposed to to present yourself and who you're supposed to be. So I feel like for, for 16 years, while I loved my career and while I loved what I did and was very proud of myself, I was showcasing a Laura that wasn't actually me. It was TV Laura. It was the Laura I thought I had to be in order to find success.
0: And how did you manage that? Like, was that hard day to day or were you just in autopilot?
1: Yeah, you know, I think autopilot is definitely a good way to characterize it. Also, a bit of ignorance is bliss. Like, it took, it took to the end of my career for me to really kind of open my eyes and go, oh, my gosh. Maybe life doesn't have to be this way, you know. Maybe you could actually share your voice in a meaningful way. Like maybe you can actually say how you feel, um, because the thing—the thing with TV, at least here in the United States, when you sign on as a journalist and you sign your contract, you are signing away your name, your voice, your image, everything about you. Now. Is owned by the station that you work for, wow. and so I couldn't have an opinion. Um, I tried to start a fashion blog that was so I saw had that. nothing. Yeah. yeah, it had nothing to do with sports. It was shut down in less than a week because no they hadn't way. authorized it. It wasn't through the station, and it was a, you know that was what really started to get me thinking like. Maybe this isn't the way it has to be. Uh, But, you know, when you want something so badly and you're in a business that is so cutthroat and there are so few jobs compared to the number of people who want them, you convince yourself that you will do whatever it takes to keep moving up. And that's, that's what I did. And you moved all the way up to New York, is that right? I did. I did. I made it to New York. The last seven years of my career was in New York City, which is the number one market in the United States. Uh, I'm still doing lo- local news. My dream had always been to to work for a network and to go national, but uh, but New York was a pretty a pretty great place to be. Uh, so many teams that I covered, so many experiences that I had while I was there, and um, you know the other big thing about making a career pivot when you have had success i kept thinking you know i gave up so much of my life to get to this point i have to keep doing it like i can't just walk you Didn't away. want to give like, up yeah yeah what would these last 16 years for you know i and so there's there's that feeling too and then also oh my gosh i'm i'm in my late 30s like I, I can't start over. I can't be an intern and go get people coffee. And what would I even do? Like, I'm not qualified to do much other than talk about sports and, uh, and do some writing. But it was, uh, totally. it, was a weird, it was a weird time because you have invested so much of yourself and your life and everything in this one thing. And then you begin to come to the realization that maybe that one thing isn't serving you or isn't what you want to do anymore. Totally. So let's talk about what you did next. You're now a
0: women's empowerment coach and the founder and CEO of the Life Actually company. So how did you
1: come up with the idea to start this company and what is it about? Well, you know, I would love to say that I left TV. I had this mission and I, you know, the next day I started it and I was on my (laughs) way. But oh man, all I really knew was that I needed to get out of TV, that I, I needed to have a place where I could finally like be myself. The idea that I could actually share an opinion for the first time in my adult life publicly was very cool, but also a little overwhelming because I, I I didn't even know how to do that. I was so used to having to get permission to, to say pretty much anything. Wow. Um, And I had no idea what to do. I had absolutely no idea. You know, a big thing about TV is at least the way it it tends to work in the United States is there's a, there's a system for how you work your way up. You know, you start small, you start doing the grunt work. And then there's, there's kind of a, a roadmap for how you build your way up and how you make it to that next job. And then that next job until hopefully you end up, you know, in your dream city or with your dream job. Well, I knew I wanted to go off on my own and do something for me that was by me, but there aren't roadmaps for that. And so I definitely not. Uh, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Nobody's here to tell me exactly what to do next. Where's the manual? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, could somebody please write that? That would be, that would be so great. So we're trying to do here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I appreciate that so much. Um, so I, I tried my hand in, in fashion blogging and influencing for a little bit thinking, you know, I've, I've always loved fashion. I've always loved style. I, I love The idea of helping women find their own style and not just this, you have to do what's in the fashion magazines and what people who don't have a body type that looks like yours at all, but you still have to do what they're doing. And I did not like that. I wanted to do, I wanted it to be like an inclusive fashion experience and and not have it even really be fashion, but more style, because style is so individualized. But as I did that for a few months and realized I wasn't very good at it and that there were so many other people who were so much better. Um, I love
0: your honesty, by the way. I love that. (laughs) I
1: I wasn't good at it. I really wasn't. I didn't know. I didn't know how to do it. And... um, I started to realize that I didn't really want to try and figure it out. So at this point, I, I got married shortly after leaving TV. Had been I met my husband when I was 35, and we had, I had never had a boyfriend up until the point when I met him at 35 and a half. And I always use the half because when you get to a certain age, you start measuring things like by it the starts month. to matter. <laughs> it does. It totally does. No, I was not 35. I was 35 and a half. Uh, and I met my first boyfriend and you know all of those years of being single I was in TV and I was so terrified of people finding out that I not only did I not have a relationship but that I had never had a relationship because we have we have so many views and ideas on what relationships say about people? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, yep. And this idea that you know, if you haven't been in one or you aren't in one, well, well, what's wrong with you? And uh, you know, oh, it, clearly you're doing something wrong. I was already telling myself those things, and I did not need the rest of the world to, to pile on. So, I. Kept that secret. Um, I wanted to be, you know, perfect TV Laura. I wanted the the viewers to see me as this put together, totally with it, just, you know, liked by everybody, reporter and anchor. And um, so I hid that side of me. It was my, it was my. Darkest secret, which I look back now and I'm like, oh, I just want to give that Laura a hug because it's so yeah. not a bad thing. It it's so not, and I was so terrified of it. So when I finally left TV and I finally realized that I had a voice of my own that I could use, um, I found that when I was talking to other women about finally like sharing my experiences, just just people that I would meet, uh, friends, friends of friends and sharing my stories and having them say, "Oh my gosh, I can so relate to that." Like even if I haven't had the exact same experience, hearing you talk about that, like it gives me hope because I know I'm not the only one who's who's ever felt this way. And so I started thinking about that and thinking, you know, when I was single, all I wanted was for somebody to to tell me you're okay. You're more than okay. The status of your relationship situation does not define you. And you're doing the best that you can, and you're doing a really great job. Like, that's, that's all I ever wanted someone to say. And instead... You're bombarded with how to find a guy, all the things you're doing wrong on a first date, what rules to follow, and so many damaging things that just keep telling you that you are supposed to be fixed as a single person. So I I decided on this fashion blog that I was going to write about my experiences when I was single, not to tell anybody what to do or, or how to fix it or anything like that, but just to share the experiences that I had. And I I hit publish on this, on that first introduction article. And in that post, I say publicly on the internet that I met my husband at 35 and a half and he was my first ever relationship. And I was terrified. Did it go viral? <laughs> Did the post go viral? No, I wish it would have. No, it, it <laughs> didn't. And that's the thing. I didn't have a ton of people who, who were reading my blog at that time. And this is how I knew that I was onto something because, you know, I hit publish on it and was just, you know, sweating and like, okay, it's out there. I can delete it, but it was still out there, so it's it's out there forever. It's got a digital um, footprint, <laughs> exactly. But also, I was like, "But nobody really reads this. You have a very small readership, so maybe nobody's actually even going to see it." Uh, but by the end of the day, I had three different women, and for me, that was big because I was never getting any you know actual like emails from people after they had read anything I posted. But three different women, one who I kind of knew, and two who were complete strangers all sent me emails saying, "Oh my gosh, I have never had a relationship and I thought I was the only one." And they ranged in age from their early 30s up to 40. And they were they just the the message was, "Thank you. Thank you for sharing that this is what you experienced because I'm going through it too." And that's when the seeds started to get planted that, you know, maybe maybe there's something bigger here that I can tap into, that I can connect with, that I can connect with women on, on a deeper level. And that's when I really started to understand just how little support, not only did I receive when I was single, but that it is out there for single women in general. Um, and that that's just not okay. And I'm totally, I'm, t- I'm so tired of people being defined by their relationship status. And you know, at this point, I, I had gotten married, and so I'm like, So, wait, so now that I'm married, does this mean that I'm on some different level? Like, because I'm, I'm not <laughs> at all. You've arrived, uh, my life, you're married. yeah, <laughs> uh, everything is perfect now. My life is just <laughs> a fairy tale. Spoiler alert. Not the way it goes. Um, And so, you know, I just started realizing how much from being single to these ideas of when you're supposed to have kids to the idea of, you know, when your career is supposed to be figured out, all of these pressures that we feel, especially as women from society about a timeline and when we're supposed to do everything. And I just rejected it. I, I just hated that because we didn't do things a set way, that that is now dictating our idea of our own success. That we've somehow failed, right? Exactly. You've failed. And and there are so many ways to have success in your life. And when we don't hit one, like, oh, I didn't get married by 30, I am a failure. Um, it just, it, it makes me so So angry that these are the messages that we are internalizing every day and that it is setting the stage for what we think we should be doing and how our life should be going. Totally. So this is a very long-winded answer that I'm giving (laughs) (laughs) to to your question. I love it. But, you know, as I started realizing all of that, I was like, you know, I think there's something here. And my first goal was to do a podcast where I would just talk to women about their stories because the thing I, I realized about my childhood was while my parents, like I had mentioned, had told me I could do whatever I wanted in my life, the visual that I had was get married in your early 20s, have kids by the time you're 30, and just... The rest figures itself out. So when I hit my early 30s and was still single, yet had a pretty successful career in TV, I felt like a complete failure because there wasn't anyone in my life, any women in my life, who had a life that looked like mine. So it made me feel like I was failing. And all of my girlfriends who were single too felt the same way. So it wasn't even like we could look to each other and be like, but you're doing a great job. It was always, "Oh, so have you heard from the guy you went out with last week? <laughs> totally. Um, so this idea that, that we, by sharing our stories with each other, that we are – we're helping others see and have a visual of all these different ways life can go. Which then helps you start to feel a little bit better about your own perhaps untraditional path. And realize you're not alone, right? Yeah, exactly. Just realizing you're not alone is so huge. Uh, So I had that idea for the podcast, and from that podcast, which didn't actually launch until two years later, Um, (laughs) the company came from that, and the company came first, the Life Actually company. Let's talk about your hashtag, which I love so much.
0: It's hashtag ownyourtimeline. So is this essentially your entire story? Is that
1: how you came up with the meaning behind the hashtag? Yeah, it, it really is. And actually, one of the women in my community, she's the one who coined it. Emily, if you are listening, thank you. Uh, she coined it, and she she said, you know, because I talked about timelines and how timelines are so are so silly, and we hold ourselves to these like arbitrary ages and dates and things that are supposed to happen. And uh, and yeah, one of one of the women who I connected with was like, yeah, well, you need to just own your timeline. I was like, that's it. That's Ding. exactly <laughs> what we need to do. And and realizing that. The things that we are judging ourselves on, the things that we are finding as, as failures, the things that we're worrying about in the way that our timeline looks is actually what makes our timeline so unique and, and so amazing. Like it, it is ours. So instead of like apologizing for, oh, well, I'm not married yet, or I haven't figured out my career yet, or I don't have the kids and the picket fence and the house. And instead of looking at it that way saying, wait, what, what are all the things I have done? What does my timeline actually look like? What are the the milestones that I have hit? And let's celebrate those. We never celebrate them enough, honestly. We don't. We're always just we putting ourselves don't. down for not
0: having achieved enough by a certain point. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And we, we have these ideas of the things that we're allowed to celebrate. We're allowed to celebrate yeah. engagements. We're allowed to celebrate weddings. I mean, we buy everyone gifts for all of these things. Oh. Where's my gift for buying a house by myself? <laughs> or or buying right? a, a car by myself? Or moving across the country or moving, you know, miles and miles away from home? I'm still waiting for my presents for when I got my cat, Laura, honestly. <laughs> oh, congratulations, Nicole. <laughs> like no one celebrated my fur, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Well, I want to. I want To celebrate your fur baby, that is important and amazing. And uh, no, you're right. We don't. And I I even had I had a woman who was on my podcast a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how she got in her early 30s, got out of a toxic relationship, and she was like, you know, at that point, people were like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so you know, you thought you were going to marry him. I'm so sorry." And she's like. I got out of a toxic relationship. Like yeah, I Yeah, congratulations made that choice for me. on your breakup. Can we celebrate <laughs> that? Exactly. She's like, where was the wine and the balloons and the flowers totally. to celebrate that? So yeah, so it's 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 looking at our own timeline, it's looking at what we have done and and not feeling like we have to explain it and instead just owning it. This is who we are. This is what we've done. Who knows what's ahead? Realistically, no one does. Exactly. So let's be open to it. And in the meantime, let's start honoring the things that we have accomplished.
0: Absolutely. So let's discuss your timeline because I love how you were saying before you thought that you would like get married and then have kids by 30 and then everything would just sort itself (laughs) out after that. And I feel like that's so relatable. No one ever really thinks about what happens once you turn 30. They're just like, oh, I have my entire life sorted by 30 and then the rest (laughs) is history. Uh, So what did did you think your life would look like by the time you turn 30? And I guess what actually happened then?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I, I, you know, I never dated when I was growing up when I was in high school you know before going off to university I, I didn't really date so I don't know why I thought it would change um, <laughs> but I, I I always I always did and then even when I was in college I didn't date really at all in college and didn't, you know, didn't have any relationships. And yet I always told myself, you know, when I was in high school, it was like, Oh, in college, it'll be different. When I was in college, it was like, Oh, these college guys are so immature. It'll be so different when you're in the real world and you're an adult. Mm -hmm, Definitely not. It it wasn't for me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I, I truly had, I knew I needed to focus on my career. I knew that a, a career was very important to me and that that mattered. But I, also had this unwritten or unkind of spoken belief in my head about getting married and having kids. And I never specifically told myself, well, you have to do this by 30. I think it was just implied that that's what would happen, that I would get married. I would have the kids. All of that would be great. And then my life would really start. And yet when I thought ahead to my life after the kids part, it was kind of a blank. Like I didn't know what was like. Would I stay at home and be be a stay at home mom? Would I keep working? How how would I balance these things? Would I still be trying to be a network TV reporter? Like I didn't know. All I knew, all I knew in my head was that I would get married and have kids, and the rest would sort itself out. So yeah, I really I had a plan with no plan at the exact same time. I love so, that. It, <laughs> I definitely relate. (laughs) And then, of course, none of it happened. (laughs) So I I spent my 20s basically working my way up in the TV world, which meant moving cities every couple of years and not just, you know, moving, uh, doing little moves. I moved coast to coast in the U.S. twice um, and was just bouncing all over the place, which made it difficult enough to maintain friendships, let alone actually, like, creating relationships. Uh, And as a woman – I was always told by people who are older than me and in the business that it was going to be a lot harder for me to find a partner and a relationship as a woman because he was going to have to keep moving with me. Oh, totally. I get
0: told that all the time, that like it's women who have to compromise um, because men are less likely to be willing to do that. Like I hear that all the time.
1: And I'd look over at my male colleagues and all of my male colleagues who were my age, who were married, were having kids. And I'm like, wait, why, why does he get to do this? And I don't. Yep. Um. So there was that, you know, there was that whole idea that was based in reality, but then also based in just what everybody kind of thought was reality. So I got to New York when I was about... It was just after my 31st birthday. And so here I am. I'm living in my dream city. I'm in an apartment that overlooked Central Park. I had no business having an apartment this cool. And my cat and I were living You large. had a cat as well? <laughs> I love that. I did. I did. <laughs> you know, I, I had this great life in, in pretty much every area except my relationship status. And so turning 30 didn't bother me. Turning 35 really sent me over the edge. I think because I hit 35 and suddenly I was like, oh, I'm now closer to 40 than 30. And I'm still nowhere (laughs) close to where I thought I would be in my personal life. Uh, And that was rough. That was really rough. I, I, I beat myself up so much after turning 35 and just, I just got really scared. I got really scared about what my life was supposed to turn into, uh, without a partner and, and what was wrong with me that I didn't have a partner. And, you know, and like I said, there just weren't a ton of resources out there to support single women in the way that I believe they should be supported, which is by being told there's nothing wrong with them. And so, yeah, I, um, I had kind of a rock bottom moment after turning 35, and I got myself out of it by taking myself on a vacation. Uh, it was middle of winter in New York City. It was just snowy and cold and gross. It's like I have to get out of here. But you know, all of my friends were married or had relationships or had very weird work schedules. TV is is very strange when it comes to work schedules. And nobody could go with me. So I was like, well, I'm going to go by myself. So I went to Mexico by myself. And I I had traveled before. I traveled before by myself, but that was a few years prior and I enjoyed that trip, but that trip was very much rooted in, oh, I can't believe I'm here by myself. I mean, I'm glad I'm here, but I'm here by myself because I don't have a boyfriend. Like that was the narrative I kept telling myself in my head. And instead this time it was like, I'm going on a vacation that I get to plan, that I get to call the shots on, that I, I get to do whatever I want. Uh, and it, was, it ended up being one of the best trips that I have ever had. It was really when I started to give myself permission to find joys in being by myself, in being single. And uh, I came home from that trip and kind of kept that momentum going. What What I really began to understand was that I had... You know, I had this plan in my head. I had this idea of how my life was supposed to go. So when I daydreamed about my future, when I daydreamed about five years down the line, 10 years down the line, it always involved a husband and kids. The other details, you know, you, they were interchangeable, but those two things were always there. So when I actually looked at the life I was leading, which was, you know, not no boyfriend, not really dating anybody, I... I had no future. The future I was giving myself was blank because he hadn't come into my life yet. So no wonder I was terrified. I was sitting here looking at the life that I had built, and if it continued on the way it was with the things that I could control, I just had a black hole in front of me. That was my future. So yeah, of course I was terrified. And what I was able to finally do was to kind of like lift that, that curtain and say, What can you control? Like, what kind of a life can you actually make for yourself that is yours, that has nothing to do with a partner? And let's actually start exploring what that could look like. And I still wanted to meet somebody. I still wanted that part of my life to happen very badly. But I, for the first time in my adult life, I gave myself permission to have hope, for a life that I could actually have some control over and and gave myself permission to get excited about it. And that was a huge turning point for me. I, I think it was really the first time that I settled into being single and was okay with it. I, I had been on dating websites and I was like, I'm just, I'm done. I, none of this is working. This isn't making me happy. Um, I think I want to explore more this whole idea of, like, what I can create and what I can control. And, of course, six weeks later is when I actually met my husband, um, <laughs> which I I love that part of my story because it is my story. But I also don't love it because I, I hate the idea that you have to fix something about yourself and you have to get into this perfect mindset and then love will happen. And that's just the way it goes. Like, it doesn't always go that way. But I had also set myself up to be in a in a place in my life where I was happy and and content and really okay with whatever the future could bring so when I did actually meet my husband I truly feel like he is the first man who actually met me yes. instead of the me who was desperately trying to make a relationship work so that I wouldn't end up alone. Um, I love that. You
0: just stopped trying yeah. to search for love and you just were like expressing yourself. And in turn, you attracted the right person for yeah, you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think timing is so important. I hated hearing oh, about timing when I was single. I hated it because it, I always felt like, well... That's not fair. <laughs> like, why can't it just? Why can't the timing just work out now? Like that's just not fair. But you know, there are so many elements to that. Like, had we met six months prior when I was really, really in a difficult place? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. You probably um, would have walked straight past him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or he would have been like, "Oof, okay." <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm ready for this because yeah. uh, I was a, I was angry. I was very angry for a long time because I was single and I didn't. Know why,
0: but I love how you said settle into being single. Like, and it's just like that saying: the second you stop searching for love, love finds you. You know, and your story is kind of
1: like evidence of that. That's such a hard thing to hear when you're single, though. Too, you know. So you're like, "Oh wait, how am I just supposed to stop looking?" Because I I, I want this so badly, and so that's it's a hard thing to hear when you are single. There are there's there are definitely elements of truth to it. You know, I felt like for me. I was just getting to this point where I was being comfortable being single and I was I was happy about it I was excited about it I actually almost broke things off with my husband right around our third date, which had nothing to do with him. He loves when I tell this story, by the way. Um, <laughs> had nothing to do with him. I just remember we were, he was doing everything right. I mean, I i knew from the very beginning he was different. Uh, he How was did you treating know? me.
0: I'm always curious. Um, <laughs> How do you know?
1: Well, okay. So one of the things about New York, and I'm sure it, it's not just New York. I'm sure that it's lots of cities like this or just guys in general. Uh, but New York tends to have a lot of serial daters, men. I've heard this. They kind of, it's almost like they do it for sport. I don't know oh. what their end game is because it's not even like the end result is always like sleeping with somebody. It's its a very strange thing. So I, I went out on a few dates in New York where I came home and, and thought that was the best first date I've ever had. That guy was... Oh, he he is the per- – I'm marrying him. That was – that could not have gone better. We clicked perfectly. He's good looking. I'm attracted to him. We mesh like, oh, my gosh, best date ever. And then without fail, I would never hear from them again. <gasps> oh, and I'm like, wait, sorry. what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> How, <laughs> How is the- that possible? <laughs> How could I think this went so well? And in reality, what was happening was he was – I don't know playing a game who knows he he was like listening to everything that I was putting out there about what I wanted and that he was giving it back to me he was sa- he was purposely trying to uh. to win me over and like get me to this point where I was just totally sold eh, and then he was done lost interest he moved on it's and a little bit twisted, though. It's so twisted. Oh, don't get me started about New York dating. We Savage. could do a whole episode on that.
0: Can we please? Because i have it's always been a dream of
1: mine to move to New York, but now I'm scared. Yeah. The <laughs> dating like scene is there. hard. <laughs> yeah. That it is. Oh my gosh, that it is. So when I met my husband, you know, I went into the date, first of all, feeling very differently. Every other first date that I had gone on, I went into it thinking, okay, please have this guy be good. Please have this work out. Because I was always telling myself, if this doesn't work out, I don't know when the next date is that you'll have. Because it wasn't like I was having dates, you know, every night of the week. So I went into these first dates thinking, oh, just please work out, please work out. And instead for this one, I was like, you know, I'm actually feeling really good. I didn't necessarily want to meet anybody right now, but you know, why not? He has a British accent, and I can drink a glass of wine. Like, and listen, love to talk. a British accent. Like, yeah, it sitting. gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went into that date thinking, ah, whatever happens, happens. Like, I don't need this to work. I really don't. And um, I saw him. I sat down. I, I didn't feel like, oh my god. This is the one. And this is also another story my husband loves me telling. Because <laughs> he wants to be the best first date ever. And I'm like, well, you, okay, you actually were the best first date because you were my last first date ever. Oh. But, <laughs> but, not, you know, there's a reason that it was a good thing that you weren't the best first date ever. We sat at that bar for six hours. Wow. I think I ended up drinking like a bottle and a half of wine because that's just <laughs> how much, you know, I, we didn't want to leave. So we just kept, I was like, okay, sure, I'll have another round. Um And, you know, again, it was nothing crazy. I didn't, like, sneak off to the bathroom and text my friends, like, got a good one. This is great. I was just enjoying talking to him. I was just enjoying being around him. Uh, And then at the end of the night, as we were wrapping up, he did something that no guy had ever done with me before. He said, when can I see you again? And actually set the next date before we walked out of the bar. And so I was like, okay, well, he's not going to ghost me. Well, at least I hope not at this point. <laughs> at this point, it would be standing me up. But I, I, I knew. I kind of I had this feeling like is this guy is actually going to back up the things that he says. Um, I wouldn't kiss him. I gave him a hug goodbye, which is another thing he gives me a hard time for. Um, <sighs> but but I also knew. I was like, I have tried so hard in the past. Like I have tried to be what I think they want me to be. And I'm done. I'm just done with that. So if you don't like that I'm not going to kiss you on the first date, then you're not my person and you know, go have a great life. So he, you know, he contacted me the next morning. He was always attentive and I just, I just knew I wanted to see him again. But as we approached that third date, at this point we were basically seeing each other every other day for that first like week and a half, two weeks. That's so and cute. And so we did the, <laughs> we did the second date. I kissed him on the second date. Um, I still made him work for it a little bit, but it was, <laughs> it was good. And then before the third date, you know, he was doing everything right, and I just kept thinking, all I know when it comes to dating is heartbreak. All I know is pretty much the guy who I get interested in leaving. And then I spiral and feel bad about myself. And And I'm not in a place right now where I feel like that's going to happen, but I also don't really want to take the risk. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, is this really worth it? Like, is this guy actually going to be different? Do I really want to put myself out there again? And I wrestled with it. And he was being so sweet as I was on my way to, to meet him at this bar for our third date. And he was sending me the sweetest text. And I was like, "Ugh, dude, OK, calm down. Like, I, I don't even know if I really want to do this right now. <laughs> but I, I got to the bar. And he got there right before me. And as I walk in, he was like arranging bar stools in the perfect way so that we could talk to each other and have a conversation. And I just took one look at him. And I, I, just, I just knew I wanted to keep seeing him. So, you know, we, we did not have the best first date ever, but we had a real first date, if that makes sense. And all yeah. the entire time, I just knew. I didn't know I was going to marry him. I didn't know this was going to be the real thing. I just knew I, I wanted to keep talking to him. I just, I wanted to see him again. That was it. And after probably two, three weeks, that's when I really started to, to say, okay, all right, I... I, I do think this guy could could be special. Um, that this could be, I don't I don't think I was still really afraid to say the one, but I definitely started to develop those feelings. But it happened out of just a desire to keep being around him. I just I wanted him in my life. I didn't know how I I just I wanted him to be in my life. And here we well, are. I feel
0: like after you shared that story, I feel like he should coach men on how to court women because he sounds like the dream. I have to be honest, <laughs> like arranging bar yeah. stools,
1: taking you straight away, locking in a second. I mean, he's the dream. <laughs> we, we've actually talked about that. He's like, I feel like I need to write a book. He's He's so sweet. I mean, my relationship with my husband and the way he treats me is Everything I had always hoped a relationship would be, but I didn't actually believe existed. And so he has just, he looks at me and he says, you know, I found my dream partner. I feel like I need to talk to to men and help them realize and understand that they can do the same. So Um. we have talked about that. And so who knows down the line what we might be able to kind of like mesh together yeah. with, this, uh, the, with this world. But he thinks about that too. <laughs> so would you say that you're happier now than when you were single? Um, well, life is so different now. Um, and here is, here's where I'm really happy in the way my timeline worked out, that I did not get married in my 20s, that I didn't have kids then. I was reading a headline, I I think I started skimming the article, but it was basically like, it was talking about um, a woman had written it and said, I had kids in my 20s like I was supposed to, now I'm in my 40s, they've left home, and I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's a midlife, like that's midlife crisis when we talk about all of that. I got to spend my 20s doing whatever I wanted, having fun, making myself miserable for being single, which I wish I could <laughs> remove that part. Relatable. But That aside, like, got to experience so many things, got to live all over the United States, um, got to travel, got to do things for myself that I didn't appreciate as much in the moment as I wish I had, and got married at 38. Um, we went through a whole... Fertility and IVF journey when I starting when I was forty. I'm now pregnant at forty one. I'll be forty two when I have. Thank you. <laughs> I will be forty two when she's born, and I'm like midlife crisis. I now and to this point in my life where I get to start all that stuff that I thought I would do in my twenties in terms of having the family and raising a child. And you know, in my twenties, I I wanted to go out and have fun. I wanted to go. Make bad choices, and you know, just (laughs) and I did that plenty of times. (laughs) Yeah, uh, more than I would like to count. But uh, I got to do all that, and then I got to this point in my thirties where I was like, you know, I I don't want to do that so much anymore. And so finding my husband at that point when I did felt really good because the two of us are such homebodies now, and after having both done so many things up to this point independently in our lives that now we're really just ready to be able to like I don't want to go out anymore I, no. I I yes I enjoy going out to dinner and and in pre-covid times you know when we could do all of that safely and feel really good about it but I I don't need to Do that anymore. I don't need to feel like I have to, especially in New York, was the site like this you had to put on a show every time you went out, and I loved it. I loved getting dressed up, I loved doing all that. I don't need to do that so much anymore. I'm fine curling up on the couch on a Friday night and not having any plans. And now, we're going to be parents and get to go through that journey together. So I don't have to worry about a midlife crisis because I I have so many awesome things that are ahead right now. And even if we weren't having a baby, uh, this being able to start our life together at this point and being able to have plans and and travel and buy a home together and just whatever it is that happens next, like, it all feels very new and fresh and I'm very thankful that this is the way things turned out for me, and this is just for me. Everybody's life is different, everybody's path is different, and I just I want us all to be able to celebrate our own unique way. But I I'm very grateful now uh, that that my life has gone the way it has. So I'm I'm very very happy now. I was also very happy in my twenties and in my early 30s when I was not beating myself up for being single. But I was happy <laughs> in it, it was different. It was just a different lifestyle that I had. Um, I definitely feel more supported now because I do have that partnership. Uh, but I also had a lot of support too when I was single that, again, I didn't always appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what you say though, because
0: like listening to your story, your timeline is actually like my dream timeline. But it's such a shame that because we're brought up to think that we have to tick all these boxes, that we can't actually enjoy it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, traveling around America, living in New York when you're single, that's the dream to me. And then meeting yeah. your partner one once you've had this incredible career and you can finally focus on a family, that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? But yeah, unfortunately, like you
1: did, we beat ourselves up for not having it all at the same time. Yep. And all of these messages society sends us, and even now, I mean, I'm going to be a first time mom at 42. I am perfectly healthy. This is a perfectly healthy pregnancy. Everything is great, but I have doctors freaking out because I'm so old. And it's like, but, I, but I'm but i not. Like, my body's okay. I, I can do this. And, and already, you know, Isn't there Isn't it called a geriatric, geriatric pregnancy? Pregnancy past Thank, Thirty-five. <laughs> thankfully, no. I think they're trying to get rid of that, and no one yeah. has actually said it to me. But uh, but what they call it now is advanced maternal age. Oh my! <laughs> Not much
0: better. Uh, so, do you think you would be happy today if you hadn't met him, though?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I I really like would like to believe that I would. Um, I I have no idea where my life would have gone, what would have happened. Uh, but I do believe that I was finally getting to this place where I was I was good. I was feeling happy with, with who I was and what I had and the life that I could potentially create. Um, I have no idea what it would have looked like if I had not met him. I have no idea if I would have been brave enough to leave TV when I did. I think at some point I would have. I, I don't know. It may have taken me a little bit longer. But I, yes, I would, I very much would like to believe that I would be, I I would be finding ways to be happy. My brother has three kids now. I would be the best aunt ever. I mean, I'm I'm still trying to be a good aunt, but you know, I I would have been so focused on on being around them and having that be my my kid experience. Um, This is what I try and work with women on now is helping them because we don't know what the future holds. So how do we find the happiness that we want in the life that we've already created um, while still hoping to find someone. I, I truly believe that anyone who wants to find someone who wants to be in a loving, supportive relationship, it's going to happen. You will find that person. You will not be alone forever. I agree. The only problem is I can't tell you when. I yeah. just can't tell can't you when. I can't predict the timeline, right? So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime to make ourselves happy and to, to give ourselves permission to be happy with what is actually going on around us? So would you have considered settling had you not met your husband? <laughs> you know, no. I I don't. I, I would not have. I, I don't believe I would have once I got to that Place where I was comfortable being single. I had, while I'd never had a serious relationship, I had dated some guys in my late 20s and early 30s who were not good guys, who were not right for me, who did not treat me well at all. But I refused to see it. I wanted it to work so badly. And thank goodness those guys like, ghosted me, dumped me, whatever you want to say. They they ended it. They made sure it didn't happen. And I was devastated at the time. But now, oh, so thankful to all of them for being such jerks because <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't at a point yet where I could really understand and realize what it is I wanted and what I deserved. And so I'm thankful. I worry that I would have settled back then if one of them had not— you know, had decided, eh, sure, let's do this, and that I would have gone along with it. Um, (laughs) You'll do. (laughs) It's fine. We'll make this work. Um, But I I do really, I believe that once I did finally start to embrace who I was and what I had to offer, that I would not, I would not have settled at that point. I was, that was not, that was not an option. But, but younger me, I I wanted to even though I didn't think it was settling I would realize now it's settling but at the time
0: yeah you don't know I totally get that. And I often think the same about guys who, like you said, have ghosted me or have just ended the situation abruptly. It's like I look back and I'm like, you actually did me the biggest favor. Thank you. I
1: hated yes. you at the time, but oh, thank you now. Yes. <laughs> you <laughs> broke my heart. I cried my eyes out, but thank you. Exactly. Uh, so I listened to
0: your incredibly heartfelt podcast episode about your IVF journey. And like I said, congratulations on your pregnancy. Thank you. For those who haven't listened to the app... Tell us about your journey. What have been some of the hardest obstacles you've had to overcome with your husband?
1: It's It's been a journey, that's for sure. Uh, my husband has a genetic condition that we had to have tested out, uh, which they are able to do through the IVF process. They're able to actually test the genetic makeup of the embryo. So we started IVF thinking naively that we just had to test out my husband's condition, uh, which there was a 50% chance that he would pass it on. And so I was like, oh, okay, fine. I mean, all we need is one embryo and and, and we're set. So this is going to be no problem. Uh, I was so naive. I think I think a lot of people who go into IVF, I mean, you can't know until you go through it. So there's a lot of, of opportunities for naivete. But what we realized mm. once we started was that my eggs were, I was already... 40, but my eggs were behaving as if they were a little bit older. So we had a lot of challenges, not only with having to deal with his gene mutation that we needed to find, but also um, most of the embryos, all of the embryos were coming back with chromosomal abnormalities, which was because of my eggs. So you as a woman you go through this whole it's my fault this is not like I I'm a woman I'm supposed to have a baby I'm supposed to be able to create life what is wrong with me that I'm not and that's a that's a tough place to be at especially for me I had always I had decided in my early 30s that I wanted to be a mom, but I didn't want to do it on my own. I wanted to, I didn't just want to be a mom. I wanted to have a family. So I wanted to go through that process with somebody. So if I did finally find my person, I would do this with him, but I I didn't want to do it on my own. So here I had finally found my person, and now nothing's working. So we did three rounds over last, last year in 2020 during COVID. Uh, all of them failed. And we had, you know, you get your genetic reports back about the embryos. And so I knew the gender of all of them. Every single one was a boy, which wow. made it like I, I forced myself to, to look at that because I, I needed to remind myself that these were potential, potential babies, potential humans, um, and just – it it was hard. It was really, really hard uh, to go through all of that. And we finished the third round December of last year. That was did was not successful. And I thought that was it. I thought we were done. So you start grappling with these questions of how do you actually decide that you're done like what what do you do to actually make that choice how do you wrestle with that and and I, I we were going back and forth because IVF is difficult it is it is an emotional toll it is a physical toll i was i was i was basically on hormone injections for an entire year I was gaining weight. I didn't feel like myself. It was, it was pretty brutal. Um, and so you wonder at that point, how much more can we put ourselves through? So we ended up deciding to do one more round. That would be it. Fingers crossed. We would see what happens. And we found out in February of this year that we had one embryo. <laughs> out of the four rounds, we finally had one embryo. And of course, all of them had been boys. And the one that broke through was a girl. Of course it was. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. So we were very lucky because once you, once you have an embryo that doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, but, so we were very lucky that the transfer was a success and uh, that we found out in April that I was, am actually pregnant and uh, I'm due in December. So That's it's exciting. been, it's been wild. Um, it's been an emotional Roller coaster, to put it mildly, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, here we are. In some ways, like I was just talking to somebody about this. I have, I have fifteen weeks left in my pregnancy. I'm twenty five weeks right now, and it's crazy because I feel like I've been pregnant for a year and a half. <laughs> How has your husband
0: handled the journey? You
1: know, it's it's hard um, because women don't talk about this very much. We don't talk about infertility and pregnancy loss and and an IVF as often as I I wish that we did, and I understand why, because when you're in it, it's hard and you don't necessarily want to talk about it and you're just trying to get through. But for as little as women talk about it, men talk about it even less. So there's, you know, I could find some support systems. Social media is great, is a great place to be able to find other women who are going through infertility, who, who know what you're talking about when you start going into all of the, you know, technical medical terms they know what it is you're talking about and you know my husband didn't have any of that so you know fortunately we we have a very close relationship and so you know we were able to to help each other get through totally
0: and so what advice do you have for women who are about to embark on their own IVF journey
1: find support where wherever you can and also don't be afraid to cut off things that are not helping you and are not supporting you. I knew a couple of people who had gone through IVF, so I had that support, which I clung to, but then I also had friends and family who I absolutely love and who meant so well and who always wanted to know what was going on and wanted all of the updates, and I found myself absolutely exhausted trying to give them to them because I was just trying to get myself through it. So I, I, we did our fourth round, actually, in secret. We didn't tell anybody. Even our moms didn't know because I just... I couldn't bring everybody else along on the journey with us anymore. We had to go it on our own. So I do not be afraid to stop the things that aren't serving you. Also, I couldn't go to baby showers. I couldn't, I could not deal with pregnancy announcements. It was making me feel so bad. And so I, I stopped, you know, I stopped following people who were pregnant or I muted them. I I did whatever I needed to do just to, to get through, um, And just being able to find support. the, The people who I felt honestly provided the most support to me through it were women, a couple of women who I've never even met. We connected over Instagram through infertility pages and... There is sometimes a really great comfort in being able to share some really intimate things that you're going through and some intimate fears that you have with a person who doesn't know you, who is a complete stranger, who can totally empathize and understand what you're going through. They also aren't emotionally invested the way, you know, my mom is, whom I love and I know she loves (laughs) me. And But it just, there is a pressure in, in sharing with my mom, how I was feeling, which I didn't feel with these strangers, uh, who feel anything but strangers now, even though we've never actually met. Um, but yeah, I think those are my biggest pieces of advice. And then just understand, I, I thought that if you did IVF, it would be, it would all work out. It might take a little bit, but it would all work out. Just there, there's no, there's no one way it can go. Anything is possible. Um, and that's the, hard, that's the hardest part. But I wish I had understood that a little bit more before I began.
0: So you offer one-on-one and group coaching to women.
1: What are some of the things you explore in your one-on-one and group coaching? Yeah. So my group coaching program, which uh, will be coming up in the in the winter. I wanted to get through the pregnancy before we actually jumped back into that. Uh, but that coaching is for specifically really for single women and in a group atmosphere, which I think is really important to very much understand just how not alone you are and how we so often are telling ourselves... Oh, I'm the only one who's going through this. I'm the only one who's still single. I'm the only one who feels this way. And then just being able to be in this environment of knowing, having visual proof in front of you that you are not alone in feeling this way. Um, and we, we really work through how to, and this is what I do in my one-on-one coaching as well. It's really about how to find the happiness and acceptance in the life that you currently have, in the life that you have already built, in the life that you are still building in the future that you have control over and and how we let go of the way we thought life would go and instead embrace the life that we're actually living because it's it's that actually that's that is what's making this life it's the actually that is making it unique to you and is making it really special and so how do we find ways to celebrate that and accept that um, and so I, I work a lot with single women but that it's you know it's really women who are facing anything in their life where they they don't think they're where they're supposed to be uh, and finding ways to be able to cast that aside you know there's there's no, none of this okay well, if we work together, I'm going to help you manifest your person. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the six steps that you need. Or in six weeks, you are going to find your person or be open to love. Because I I just... I don't know what's going to happen. None of us know what's going to happen. So my focus is is the things that we can control and is finding ways to reframe our perspective on the life that we have built and really finding ways to appreciate it and, um, and actually enjoy
0: it. Which is so important. What are some of the most common pressures and difficulties you
1: observe in your clients though? A lot of belief that the way things are right now is the way it's going to be forever, which is so easy. It's so easy to feel that way. And I certainly felt it. If I am single right now and I have not had success in dating, that's never going to change. And this idea that, so I'm so I'm really just, I just need to feel bad because this isn't the life I wanted, but this is the way it is. And that's, you know, poor me, this is terrible. This is, that was the narrative I had all the time in my own head. But instead to to take all of these things that we are fearing, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, and really trying to to break down the fact in that versus the fear, and understanding that we have no idea if that's going to happen. And why couldn't the opposite be true? We have There's no more reason to tell us that we're going to be alone for the rest of our life than I'm going to find my person at some point. Yet we so, always
0: subscribe to the narrative that yep, we're just gonna negative. die
1: alone. <laughs> Exactly always <laughs> He's never <gonna> always arrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. always and there's just you know there's no evidence out there that is that, that's actually indicating that that's more likely to happen than the opposite so it's really finding ways to reframe that because I think when you can finally start to feel okay about the future and what it could bring and what you have control over, that's what helps you really be able to focus in on what's happening in the present and actually be able to appreciate it and
0: enjoy it. Absolutely. And what about women who think there's something wrong with them that needs to be fixed because they haven't yet found their person or ever been in a relationship before like yourself? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that is what makes me so angry about the dating self-help world. Uh, This idea that you have to be fixed, that being single is a temporary phase on your way to being in a couple, and that if you aren't in that couple yet, then you're doing something wrong. And these messages are everywhere. Even women who who are dating coaches or who are love experts and who are who are trying to help and work with single women, so many of the messages that they are sending are just telling you that you are broken and that's why you're single. And so no wonder we feel this way. No wonder we're telling ourselves when we are single that there is something that we're doing wrong. And I so reject that. I reject that. So it makes me angry. Um, It it really does because there's, there's first of all, there's nothing that you are doing wrong. The only thing that has happened that has caused you to still be single is that you have not met your person yet. It just, it hasn't happened And if you are beating yourselves up because, oh, I'm terrible on first dates or I'm not, I did this wrong, I said that when I shouldn't have, or maybe I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that, none of that will matter when it's the right person. It won't. And, And instead, we are being fed these ideas of, yeah, you're screwing it up somehow. You're either too picky or you're not picky enough or you aren't putting yourself out there or, oh, you're going on way too many dates. Like, we can't win. All of these people trying to tell us what to do, like we're never gonna win. So why try to keep telling ourselves that there's one way to go? If we're not gonna be able to please everybody, do what makes you happy and do what, what you need to do. Just know, know. And, and even, if you, even if you don't truly believe it yet, just start trying to tell yourself that you are not broken. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you your timing just hasn't happened yet. You just have, like I met my husband at 35 and a half because I got lucky. I got lucky that I was in the frame of mind that I was in, that he was in the frame of mind he was in, that we happened to connect on a dating website. And then in person, we hit it off. That was so much luck. You're a dating website success. That gives I we me are. Hope. I'm we sure are it gives a lot yes. of women hope. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, because there's a there's there's not that many al- I mean there are, but there also are way more horror stories and yeah. bad things that women go through. Uh, but no, we are a success from a dating website. But we got lucky. I got lucky. There's nothing about me that makes me smarter, more capable, more um. Worthy of love than a person who has not met their person and who is single. I'm Absolutely. not more special than anyone. It just, I, I just, I met him already just hasn't happened yet and that's the only reason you're single it is I swear I promise (laughs) totally and what about
0: women who subscribe to a different version of happily ever after because some women don't want marriage or kids or you know they they don't feel like they need a relationship to be happy
1: yes yes they want multiple relationships (laughs) exactly exactly there is nothing wrong with that like we have got to normalize this idea that there is no one way to be happy. There is no one happily ever after. We are not living in a Disney fairy tale. There are so many different ways to be happy, and I think one of the things from my podcast and having conversations with different women, one thing that has really stuck out. I've had a couple of women who are who have gone through divorces, who've talked about how you know they did everything they were supposed to do. They got married, they had kids, but then they got divorced, and as soon as they were divorced, all of a sudden the narrative they started hearing again was, "Oh, don't worry, you'll meet somebody. Oh, it's going to be fine. You're, you'll find somebody. It will work out." And they're like, "What if I don't want it to? Like what?" Stop Why? pitting me over something I don't even want. <laughs> yes. Why does it always have to end with me being with somebody? Because that's not that's not the only way. And also, you can find your person, ha- be blissfully happy, and not want kids. That's also okay. Um, there's just – there is no one – way and so the more that we can really truly talk about our lives and our experiences and share our stories the more we can normalize this idea that that there is no normal that there's no one way we're supposed to go and that, that happily ever after also happily ever after indicates that there's an end point like just because you do get married and have kids life still goes on like there's oh, <laughs> you're yeah. not done yet so you know <laughs> that just just stop believing that there is this and, and if if society could please stop perpetuating this one idea that would be really really helpful yeah. we're not there please yet and thank um, you <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's there's nothing wrong with you for being a woman who doesn't have kids whether it's by choice or not there's nothing wrong with you for being single there's nothing wrong with you for being divorced there's nothing wrong with you for being divorced twice or you know whatever your story is um, or for
0: starting a business in your 40s or by Yes. A house in
1: your fifties, like any of those yes.
0: things, for deciding to spend your life traveling and having, you know, yes. no base and no responsibility,
1: like yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's uh, and that's the, you know, that's the beauty of it. it you get to decide what you want to do. And I wish everybody could just shut their mouth and and (laughs) try and stop sharing their opinions because yours is the only one that matters. There's so many opinions out there. Honestly, it's hard (sighs) to keep up. And also just the shame around being a mother and the way you want to bring up your kids. Right. So yeah, even when a woman is finally doing what society says she's supposed to do and she's supposed to get married and have kids, well, now she's had her kid. Oh, well, Oh, she's doing it wrong. Yeah. It's just so many ways to shame women. So right. this, I, you know, anti-shaming is is what the Life Actually company
0: is all about. <laughs> I love that. So tell me about your anti-dating dating guide. <laughs> did I say yeah, it right? <laughs> well, you did. You did. Uh,
1: that falls into this whole idea of, you know, you need to be fixed. There's one way that you're supposed to, you're doing this wrong and I got so tired of all of these. It's it's 2021 and we still have people trying to tell you that there are dating rules that you have to follow. And oh my gosh. Honestly, I have to interject there and just say that oh. that is absolute rubbish because I've
0: been on right. like a thousand dates. I feel like I'm a great first date because I can literally chat to a wall but honestly, <laughs> chemistry and compatibility, you can't buy yeah. that. It's like true love is the one thing you can't purchase in life, you know, exactly. one of the few things. Exactly. So like these rules around
1: dating, I call bullshit on them. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they totally are. And you know, what it really comes down to, if you, if, if something, if an idea about rules speaks to you and you, you feel like that's how you want to date, cool. What are the rules unique to you? Like what, what matters to you? Let's set our own unique rules because there is no one size fits all. I can tell you my story. I can get into great detail, tell you exactly how everything worked. That is not a roadmap for you to find your own happiness. Maybe some of the things I did would work for you, most likely some of them totally wouldn't because we are all we're all unique. So I got so tired of these dating guides because not only are rules so stupid, but it continues to perpetuate this idea that if you're not following them, you're doing something wrong. Or if you're still single, well, it's because you're not doing this. And that's crap. So the, my anti-dating guide, dating guide, which I have for free on my website, is basically an empowerment guide. It is, it's is—it's a way to help you feel good about dating on your terms and in the way you want to date. I am never going to tell you what to do. I, I might help listen to you and 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 share back what I'm hearing you say so that you can start really figuring out what it is that matters the most to you when it comes to dating. What are the things that you want to focus on? If If you don't believe you ever wanna be the first person to reach out, cool, don't reach out. If that does not speak to you, which it never oh, spoke to I me. Hate I hate when people say,
0: oh, you should text him. It's like, but if he was interested in me, like, I know that he would text me. So, yeah.
1: you know, it's like. If that's what works for you and if that's what you want to do, awesome. And if you are the type of person who's like, you know, I I do want to text. Go ahead and text. If it doesn't work out, it's not because you sent that text. It's because it's not the right person for exactly. you. Exactly. If it was the it's right person. It's not about the text, people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is not about the text. It is not about when you, what date you kiss on, what date you sleep to. Right? It's not about any There's of no that. There's no formula to love. Like, let's be real. Nope. nope. So that's why it's an anti-dating guide dating guide. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Uh, But I'm curious, how did you define success before you were 30 and how has that changed for you now, knowing everything that you know, being
1: on this long journey through life? That's a great question. To me, success prior to 30 was how much money I made and what my title was in my career. Wow, I love the honesty, by the way. I love that. Yeah, that that was success and that's what I was fighting for. I mean, I I wanted to get married and have all that, but I – that – that to me was success. And so the, you know, the older I've gotten, the more experience that I have had. I want to be happy and I want to be doing something that fills me up, that makes me feel like I have a purpose and that I am able to connect with other people. So, you know, I love that. I'll connection. be perfectly honest. I left TV, I left a I left a very great salary. I have yet to reach that salary on my own. Um, so Laura, 10 years ago, even five years ago, would have been like, oh my God, what did you do? What did you do? You are not making as much money. Abortmissions. <laughs> <You> <laughs> you, yes. You used to have a title that people were like, oh, wow, cool. You're on TV. What have you done? And I can honestly say that I have never I have never been happier in who I am and in what I am doing. And I just, I realized that the stress of that TV world was so bad for my mental health. And now that that's gone and that I don't have that hovering over me, it is, there's so much freedom there. Yeah. and the ability to you know work with women in a small group or work with women one on one and i finish a session and i feel like i connected with somebody i feel like i i in in one small way helped them feel like they're not alone that feels successful to me that feels like way more important than
0: Any title or yeah,
1: broadcasting (laughs) from the Super Bowl in New York City. Like none, none of that matters. That's very cool, though. That is very cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool that you did that. Let's just be
0: real for a second.
1: That's cool. (laughs) But I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) It was also freezing cold, and I couldn't feel my toes, and it was not glamorous. But well, there you go. (laughs) The reality is always very different to the fantasy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Um, and I also didn't even get to see the end of the game because I had to go get in front of the camera. So you know. Not quite yeah. what it seems.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do you think women can have it all? And what does that even
1: look like for you now? Uh, well, you know, I had a woman on my on my podcast a few months ago, uh, Beate Shillette, and her whole idea is that women can have it all, just not necessarily at the same time. Yeah, And that, that made a lot of sense to me. Um, and, you know, the idea of having it all, once again, kind of conforms to this one-size-fits-all idea of what it means to have it all. And I think that everyone is so different. You know, you could you could have the career, you could get married, you could have kids, and you could decide, I don't want the career anymore, I want to be with the kids. Or you could decide, I want career and I want to figure out how to balance it. Or you could decide I'm never having kids and I'm just going to worry about, you know, balancing my time between my fur babies and my job. And, (laughs) you know, there's, we're doing ourselves such a disservice in trying to talk to women about how to have it all. I want to be happy, as I said before, but I also want to feel fulfilled And I want to feel like I am taking care of myself and my needs. Uh, Like last year when we were going through the IVF and everything was just really tough, I took a break for about four or five months from my business, from social media, from everything because I had to step away i had to give myself time to grieve everything that i was going through to to really process what was happening and so yeah a lot of the time during during that period i was telling myself i was a failure because i I wasn't just focusing on work and i wasn't just throwing myself into all of that but i knew i couldn't so i stepped back from it and there's, there's no shame in that. There's no, um, there's no like, oh, well, you know, you aren't having it all because you decided to take a break. And I'm looking at it with my pregnancy now and trying to figure out what the future is going to hold and what it's going to look like once I am a mom and once this baby is here. And I don't know. And, and just to it, let that be to let it be okay. Embrace the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: which we're so bad at doing.
1: And maybe, you know, maybe I will have the baby and, you know, after however much time I'll be like, yep, okay, I have to get back to work. I have to jump right in. And maybe I'll say, you know, I need I need some more time. I have absolutely no idea. But I'm not going to hold myself to an idea of having it all and trying to force myself to behave in the way that that I might think I should or that society might think I should and not holding myself to these expectations.
0: I so love that. And I really hope that the listeners today hear that. Like, I feel like women need to hear that more often. Knowing that life very rarely goes to plan, if you could change anything about your timeline, would you?
1: No, I wouldn't change anything about the timeline. I wish I could go back and tell myself to just calm down about being single (laughs) and actually find ways to enjoy it. But I I would not. I really would not. um, I mean, I guess that leads into my next question,
0: because SAT is all about creating the manual for the modern woman. And I'm curious, what is one piece of advice
1: you wish you knew earlier? That you cannot control everything because I had control over, uh, you know, to an extent over my career, because I I had some control over, uh, you know, where I lived and and things like that. I, I think I always felt like I could, if I just worked a little bit harder, I could control love and I could control relationships and I could make it happen. And so if it hadn't happened, then I was doing something wrong. So I just, yes, I wish that younger Laura understood a little bit more the difference between the things we can control and the things that we can't control and <laughs> was able to put more of her focus into the things that she could control. Yeah. Uh, and then also just to know it's going to be okay. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you're go- you're going to be okay. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Thank you, Laura, so much for being a guest on the Single at 30 podcast. It has been such a treat speaking with you today.
1: Oh, Nicole, thank you so much for having me. I have loved this and I absolutely love what you are doing. And anytime I can connect with other like-minded women who are out here talking about the realities of being single, I I would be here all day, whatever you (laughs) need. So many
0: realities, so many. (laughs) All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this Singlet 30 episode, How to Own Your Timeline and Free Yourself from Societal Expectations with the charming and inspiring Laura Benke. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30, or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.